If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bought you. <laughs> Welcome back. We are the Film Drifters. Our show provides film and TV reviews from two guys that make, watch, and love movies. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is Will. Hey. And today we will be reviewing the film The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins, and we will be taking a look back at another Anthony Hopkins movie, The Science of the Lambs. Now, why so much Anthony Hopkins? Well, that's due to our guest host. We want to welcome her back. A warm welcome to Kat Loznikova. Hi, guys. Thank you for coming back. Thanks for having me back (laughs) again for some heavy hitters. Those are my favorite. Let's give our listeners a little bit of backstory here. Um, uh, Kat apparently has a infatuation is that too strong of a word uh with Anthony no there's Hopkins. no accurate there's no strong word when it comes uh for my love for anthony hopkins and i'm sure you two are probably feeling it to some degree now the hopkins yeah the hopkins. to some degree you know are you hopped the, on hopkins the, Myron? yeah i'm hot for hopkins are you hot yeah. for Hopkins yeah. or are hopped on Hopkins? I'm just saying when Anthony Hopkins in The Father is shuffling down the hall in his PJs and bedroom sleepers, nothing is hotter than that, I, I must say. But I, I just imagine Kat, you know, as, as he wakes up looking confused, uh, being unable to put a sweater on, how Kat is like, wow, that, that's just sexy right there. Slow it down. Slower. <laughs> slower. Not to such degree, but yes, I wanted to be there and I wanted to hug him. And in so many ways, I wanted to be in that film helping him. And I, I know we'll get there, but yeah, yeah yes. there's he's like a teddy bear now. Hold us. He's so charming too. Like he you, like you can't put it past him. Yeah. Even as Hannibal, <laughs> he's really charming. It's the eyes. <laughs> it's the eyes. It's the piercing blue eyes. Yeah. yeah. I was imagining, wow, this is uh, Hannibal when he's old and, and going through this <laughs> stage of yeah. his life. Hopefully <laughs> he doesn't it. remember that he was a serial killer <laughs> in, his, in his old life. But uh, I tell you what, we're going to talk a lot about The Father. And we're also going to talk a lot about Signs of the Lambs. But before we get to that, let's get started with a rundown on the latest in entertainment news. All right. So just a few things to talk about here. Uh, some of it is old news, some of it is new news, and some of it is just, hell, just fun news, I guess you could say. But um, News. Yeah, just news. But uh, <laughs> Marvel just announced its Phase 4 with an incredible trailer that dropped this past week, and it gave me Crazy. all the feels. Crazy. So much going yeah. on in that trailer. Yeah, there is. Kat, did you get to check it out? Yeah, I... You guys, count I know, me I know. out. I know. I know. Count me out. But Did wait, you wait, watch the trailer, fan? though? Yeah, did you watch it? Count me out. That's a no. That's a no. Okay. First of all, <laughs> so are you a fan saw... of Angeli? Are you a fan of Angeli Jolie? I' not sure that I am. I loved her in uh, was it Fast and the Furious, and that's I think where it ended for me. She was not in Fast and the Furious. She was not in the fa- and yeah. Uh, no. The What's gone, the co- gone wait? In Sixty what? seconds. <laughs> yes. <Gone in> 60 <laughs> seconds. Okay. This is, ladies and gentlemen, this is Cat uh, Lusnikova. This is how. Uh, yes. Her library of films. Uh, you can tell what her library of films are, basically. <laughs> no, so She's hot for Hopkins and does not like else. Angelina Jolie. Yeah, that's it. What can I say? I'm, uh, the I'm, cheese stands alone. Yeah, that's what I'm, you can say. <laughs> Ooh, that cheese. That cheese. So, yeah, yeah I loved her in six, Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> she was great. 
All right, so ladies and gentlemen, we have what's called a, a like a a beat sheet here, and uh, I let everyone know in advance, like this is what we're going to talk about, like in the rundown, you know, in the movie reviews. So, Kat, are you telling me you just saw the words Marvel and trailer and said skip? I skipped? <laughs> I'll talk about the other two. Wow, <laughs> that I <Dang>. skipped. <laughs> okay, so so I'm sure most of you have seen it, but basically. It got you got me excited about going to the movies again. And up until I saw this trailer, I was like, yeah, I'll just wait. I'll watch it at home. But uh, it got me because the first part of the trailer, it he, we hear Stanley's voice talking about togetherness, how we need each other, how we need family and friends. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're seeing scenes from all the big Marvel movies. And then it cuts to, like, video camera footage inside of a theater of people Open reacting. Night. Yeah, people reacting to the second Avengers uh, Infinity War movie. Or, it's, I guess, Avengers Endgame. And everyone just stood up cheering. And it reminded me of how I felt watching that scene and made me want to go back to the theater. And then after that, it started, you know, they went through their whole rundown of all of the movies coming out, um, you know, in the latter half of this year, as well as over the course of the next year or two, including The Immortals, directed by newly minted Academy Award winner Chloe Zhao, uh, mm-hmm. including Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Mike Drop, The Fantastic Four. Will, mm-hmm. how excited are you about Marvel's Phase Four? I am pretty excited. I think the Eternals looks very interesting. Yeah. That's why I asked you, Cat, uh, if you're a fan of Angelina Jolie, because she's in that. She seems, I don't know her character really in that, but she seems very Lord of the Rings-esque, yeah. kind of, you know, with that sword. Yeah. But other than that, I jury's out for me, though, when it comes to Fantastic Four. Obviously, it's a reboot of a reboot of a reboot, but I'm really crossing my fingers like, all right, I think... I think they can get this. Yeah. Get, they can get it this yeah, time. I think they I think, can get I think, it. I think they can get it this time. Some uh, interesting casting choices for the Immortals. Uh, all of these characters we're about to talk about showed up in the trailer. Camille Nanjiani from Silicon Valley as an action hero. He's like ripped now, apparently. Um, mm-hmm. We got Richard Madden, uh, Ned, uh, one of the Stark boys, Rob Stark, yeah. And then we also have Gemma Chan, the beautiful Gemma Chan. Love Rob Stark. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, interesting casting choices, but I can't wait to see what Chloe Zhao is going to do with a Marvel movie. Man, I, you know, you got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 yeah. coming out. I'm excited for that one. I am excited for Spider-Man, yeah. uh, No Way Home. I'm like, what? I loved all those uh, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, basically. Yeah. I've enjoyed them all so far. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. I think the only one that I, I'm kind of like rooting for, though, mostly... Uh, I guess it can be biased, the fact that we're Asian. Shang-Chi. Uh, Chi. I mean, granted, I don't know so much about it, but the the whole momentum of the trailer and the way they presented it didn't feel so, like, on the nose for me, I guess, when it comes to a typical, I guess, again, yeah. Asian kind of vibe. Now, like, it felt yeah. comic book feel, you know. Now, Kat, come on. Just, I know you're not a big comic book movie fan, but the idea of a Chloe Zhao-directed comic book movie... That has to at least pique your your interest just a little bit, no? It's piquing my curiosity. I'm <laughs> not, not sure that I will be <laughs> rushing to the theater because she's a great director, obviously, so well-recognized, and what she did with Nomadland is special. But we're talking comic books, which is so different from no, what Nomadland is. Yeah. So for that reason, I'm like, yeah, I'm interested, 
but okay. Yeah. Okay. Is that you, fair? Yeah, that's fair. But uh, you have I mean, we got to get you to watch some comic book movies. They're they're, they're fun. I've seen a few. Not even just that though, but as a film buff. You got to just kind of, you have the brightening that horizon regardless of the films being not your, you know, t- cup of tea or not. Listen, I've <laughs> dipped my toe with Wonder Woman, which I, you know, love. I love the first one so much. And there are parts right. of the second one that we've discussed that I enjoyed. I've dipped my toe with Joker, which isn't really, you know, more like a comic book. These are all DCs, though, like you're pointing Here. out. Do you know what? Have you watched Logan? You'll like Logan. I, I've I seen Logan. Yeah, yeah I Logan's loved great. Logan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a few other ones that I've seen. You know, my biggest, I think, comic book immersion was with the walking dead okay. and that went downhill okay. pretty yeah, fast that, that yeah did. It, did. it did i mean i was hooked on it for a while and then it just went downhill so yeah. since then five that's... seasons for me yep five seasons and after that i just kind of lost interest sorry so, well uh, same same all right regardless i have to say this is as excited as i've been to be in a movie theater in a very very long time so let's all go together let's Field do trip. it yeah I mean, obviously, this whole trailer, too, was to, you know, spike up, back, boost up the whole missing good theaters again. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, we shall see. We I mean, see. I mean, I'm yeah. like, I, I'm still OK with actually watching it in my home, in the comfort of my own home. But we'll see. Yeah. You never know. Like, yeah. All right. Next if thing. You guys want to invite me? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, all good. <laughs> uh, next thing I want to talk about is the West Side Story trailer. So this actually dropped um, during the Oscars. And this was... This movie was supposed to have come out last year uh, in preparation for this year's Oscars, but they held off. So the movie's been wrapped and ready to go for a while. And I heard that Steven Spielberg was uh, doing a remake of it, and the original was one of my favorite movies. It's just just a classic. And uh, having seen this trailer, I have some thoughts, but I wanted to ask you both what you thought. Kat, what do you think? Um, I saw some scenes that were visually interesting to me. Again... Will I be rushing to see it? I don't. I'm not sure that that will happen. But again, mm-hmm. I don't. Not sure that it's a film that's like right up my alley as far as my, you know, usual choices go. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Will? Have you seen the original? Let me ask you that. Yes. Yeah, so you know, obviously, I'm speaking in hyperbole, but that intro of just waiting for the freaking first scene to come in, it, that that just took the longest time for me. I, I wasn't the I mean, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the West Side Story. I appreciate it. I did watch it all the way through. It, it just didn't really grasp, you know, as, I don't know, as intensely as May has for you. But I think what really was just really bogging it down for me was that basically that, that, that intro of just music and you're waiting for, like, it's like you're waiting for the freaking curtains to rise and we got to the freaking, like, the theater 30 minutes earlier or something like that mm. and just waiting yeah. around. So that, that, that was that. Mm. But... In terms of the trailer itself for Steven Spielberg's version, what I will have to say that looks uh, very interesting is how how visually, in terms of the color, starking like similarity it is to the original. Yeah, yeah, that's what I very did not very. Like. Okay, that is what you didn't like. Yeah, because I was like, oh, is he mimicking? Yeah, because this is very very much the same. It almost looked like a shot for shot remake. The exactly. wardrobe to production design to how he shot it. Just just upscaled the HD and all looks yeah. like that's all he basically did. So and, and just changed the cast. But yeah. other than that, I was like, this looks very very yeah. much, 
one for one kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's what I didn't like. I thought he would add, add his own spin or at least uh, shoot it in his own Spielbergian kind of way. It's probably not a word that will but be. A, I, that'll I be a word in it. college, people. Yes. Like in about two years, yes. be, once he passes away or one day, yeah, yeah it'll be a word. <laughs> but I do have some hope because I, I am a huge Ansel Engord fan. Loved him in Baby Driver. Loved him mm. in The Fault in Our Stars. Yes, secretly, I, I, I was a fan of that movie. So uh, It was such a great film. Yeah, it was. So interesting casting choices. I can't wait to see what he does in that role. And the crazy thing is Rita Moreno, who won an Academy Award for the first film, which was, mm. which was released in 1961, which was 50 years ago, is not only alive and ticking, but she looks damn good for her age, and she's in the movie. So I think that's oh, something is she? to get excited about. Yeah. She, wow. she presented at the Academy Awards towards the end of the show. God. Yeah. Here's a here's a funny thing with Rita Marino. Uh, there was a show that I was watching called uh, One Day at a Time. It's a TV show. Yeah. And Rita Moreno is a cast on that as a regular. But I, I didn't know who she was at that time. I was like, like this girl looks familiar, but I don't know who this. And then there's an episode that they did where. Uh, like, cause she obviously she plays an immigrant, uh, a grandmother, but then she's like, "I want to live be in America." I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is not the same woman that's in West Side Story," and, <laughs> and everyone's all cheering the sitcom, you know. And I look back, and it is her, and I'm like, "Wow, yeah. she looks really good for her yeah. age." Yeah, really like ridiculous, like re- like no plastic surgery, nothing. Like, it looks like she she's just naturally has aged really, really well. well. Yeah, yeah. So really I, cool. I. During the pand- the lockdown, um, rewatched all of Dawson's Creek. So for me now, Steven Spielberg is synonymous forever with Dawson's Creek. So anytime I see his name, I just hear that opening sequence and seeing Dawson and Pacey and the whole Wait, gang together. Spielberg was related to Dawson's Creek. Uh, Dawson had the biggest obsession. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, with Steven Spielberg. Yeah, with Steven Spielberg and like had. His whole room looked like a shrine to Spielberg. So I pulled up Rita Moreno's bio here. She is 89 years old. Yep. 89. Yeah. Crazy. And, uh, you know, when you look at, like, I'm telling you, you, sh- you should watch. I think, I believe it's on Netflix because it's called One Day at a Time. And you see her on there. You know, at first I thought, okay, yeah, she looks like she's, like, in her early 80s, late 70s. But the fact that she was 87 at the time, 86 or whatever, like, it's just... It, it, it blows my mind yeah. how amazingly well-aged she is. Yeah. I can't emphasize that to my It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she was a looker when she was in yeah. West Side Story back in the day, dude. For sure. She was she was some hotness. Yeah. Sorry. And then, <laughs> last thing I want to talk about is, uh, this isn't really movie-related. I just thought this was funny and strangely oh, genius. This is genius. I don't know what you guys think, but uh, mm-hmm. Will Smith posted a photo to his Instagram where he said he's in the worship of his life. And he is. His gut is like hanging out over his boxer shorts. And uh, he's apparently going to do this whole thing with YouTube and kind of film his process of getting back into shape. Now, did you guys see this? And I want to just get your thoughts on this. When he says like he was in the worst shape of his life, like for his life, sure. But for the average American, he looks pretty damn good. Yeah. And like, I'm sure Martin Lawrence was like, oh, that's a good day for me, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Exactly, dude. Yeah, what do you think, Kat? Um, I I find it interesting just because we're all kind of in the same boat. And, like, he posted saying, oh, this is the body that got me through the pandemic. And, like, I can relate, you know. This is the body that got me through a pandemic. And I will also be getting ready for, I don't know, 
summer 2020 bod, but for 2021, I guess. You act like as if you're, ladies and gentlemen, you might not, you can't see her, but we can. Like, she is far from even being chubs. You are thin, cat. Don't even start with that. I'll post a picture and get, I don't know, Netflix on it. What Will Smith got Hulu, I'll get Netflix. Anyways. <laughs> that Enough was it with for the, the rundown. Talk. Enough of the body talk. It's getting weird here. Just kidding. Uh, that was it for the rundown. We will take a short break and come back with a review of The Father. Stay tuned. Date of birth? Friday, 31st of December, 1937. You're living with your daughter at the moment? Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad, why do you keep going on about Paris? You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. (laughs) Paris. They don't even speak English there. (laughs) Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How do you do, sir? I say, you're gorgeous. Thank you. (laughs) I must say, he's charming. Yeah, not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Actually, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? Anne? It's me. Ah, there she is. Your father seemed a bit confused. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Anne, where is he? I'm here. What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out. Saw it in his eyes, didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat. Isn't it? You see, the situation is very simple. My daughter is of the opinion that I cannot manage on my own. I'm so sorry about this. Why? She understands perfectly. It's important. I explained it all to you. Why do you keep looking as if there's something wrong? Everything is fine. I think she tries to do the best she can for you, Anthony. Everything will be all right. I promise you. There's something funny going on. All right, we are back with our review of The Father, and uh, here's a quick summary. A man refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages. As he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his reality. Sounds very Twilight Zone-esque. But uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to review it, I mean, number one, it's gotten a ton of great reviews, but I think... Um, Anthony Hopkins has been the center of some light controversy just for the simple fact that he won Best Actor at the Academy Awards over Chadwick Boseman. And whoever was upset by that obviously hasn't seen this They did movie. not see The Father. They did, they not, did not see, see the, the Father. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I retract all the things that we've said about it, too. And, like, yeah. well, actually, I didn't really assume or, or even, like, say, like, no, like, he didn't deserve it. I just knew that I can't say anything until yeah. I see it. So, yeah. yeah. So this movie, um, I'll say a few things and I'll hand it off to you all. It's, it's short, which I like. It's a brisk, uh, about 95 minutes or so. 
I love it when movies are short really and well good. Done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's execu- it felt balanced. Yeah. It's executed very well uh, based off of a stage play also called The Father. And the director, uh, Florian Zeller, was actually also the writer of the stage version. So, wow. yeah, with that being said, uh, you know, when he accepted an Academy Award, he said it was his dream to have Anthony Hopkins play the father character. And lo and behold, that's who was cast in this movie. A few small little diginos. Um, the character's name is Anthony. So is, you know, of course, Anthony Hopkins. And there is a line where he says his birth date uh, in the mm-hmm. movie. That is his actual birth date in real life. December 31st, wow. yep. 1937, I believe. Wow. Yep. Yeah. So uh, with all that being said, uh, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. And I'm sure that uh, the two of you did as well. So Kat... One of the reasons why we're reviewing this as well is because of your uh, your obsession, obsession infatuation. infatuation, your love, love for Mr. Hopkins. So, Deep love. Yes. Super love. Wanted to ask you what you thought about this movie first off. Were you, were you hot for Hopkins on this one? Um, was I ever? I watched it twice back to back because, well, first of all, his performance is phenomenal. Truly, truly, truly. And I do have to say that it just... The difference between this film and Silence of the Lambs is what, about 30 years, right? Um, Silence came out in like 90, 91. One, one, and one. we're in 21, so yeah. exactly like thir- about 30, 30 years. years. And I remember he was getting some like shade that he was only on screen for about like 16 or 20 minutes when he got his Oscar for Silence of the Lambs. Here, of course, he's carrying the whole, the whole film. Movie. And not only that, his performance is so dimensional. He is able, in within like the same scene, convey so many yeah. emotions, so much depth, to and give so much depth to his character. And especially because we as viewers are also watching this movie through the lens of his like fractured mind. Yeah. So we are experiencing dementia with him. With yeah. him. Which to me was probably one of the craziest immersive experiences that a movie has been able to provide us. Because there are films like Memento where time isn't linear and we're just kind of like jumping around and trying to piece it together. But we're not so much in experiencing as the lead actor or like the lead in the film is. And to me that was brilliant. And a lot of it is because of his acting obviously. Yeah, you know, that's uh, a kudos to Florian Zeller because uh, the subject matter has never been handled like this before. I mean, we've seen people on screen, uh, you know, act as though they had dementia, right? But it usually is, it's we're seeing them uh, from an outsider's point of view in that they're looking at the people around them and they're questioning who they are. And, you know, when their loved ones are like, no, I'm your son or I'm your wife or I'm your husband – then the person with dementia just reacts with horror, with confusion, and they almost like start to get violent a lot of times. This is so different because literally in this film, you have different actors playing the same character. And it's to the point where we're not even sure who is the actual daughter or who is the actual uh, you know, son-in-law, of who is the actual caretaker. And it was so interesting. It could have also gotten really confusing but it wasn't. It, there was a method to the madness where it allows the viewer to, in their confusion, find the pieces to kind of find the true story, the, who the real people are. In that sense, it was just genius. So for mm-hmm. me, huge kudos to the, the filmmaker 
for the intentionality that he brought to the filmmaking process in order to make this happen. Because otherwise it could have gotten really confusing. But it, it, was, mm-hmm. it was confusing enough, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. What do you think, Will? Uh, when I first saw in the credits that it was a, based on a stage play, I thought, okay, let's see if this is like another Mall Rainey's or another, uh, you know, one of those theatrics and whatnot. But it, I have to repeat with basically with all everything you guys have said, uh, it was completely not that yeah. for me. It was amazing, beautiful direction from Florian Zeller crafting such a heartache yet authentic, surreal experience to get up close and into a mindset of what may come for any human being when we enter an elderly age. Like, it actually made me kind of, like, fearful for a moment, thinking, you know, if I get to the age of 80 and I'm literally, like, experiencing... right, What I feel like what I'm experiencing watching this movie right now is what may, what may come in the future. I'm just like, wow, that, that kind of just hit me hard for a moment, watching that. Yeah. To, to think what it's like to have dementia or to have Alzheimer's or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I just I just loved very much how this narrative was not approached to help us understand the process of dealing with possible dementia Alzheimer's, but making one truly get so close to experience, like having it for yourself. That's basically was this journey for me. And then it was completely hats off to the amazing technical feat of the editing and the nonlinear timeline as Kat was bringing up Memento. Memento was for for me more technically like of a masterpiece to to the way how Nolan decided to tell this narrative. But when it came to this, as I was watching it, as I was uh, also telling you earlier, like cats to like pay attention to the set design. We were literally, I was like literally watching how things were different. I was like, what's going on? Like yeah. feeling confused myself, but that was the point. Yeah. And I was like, for that, what kind of got me the fear. I was like, oh my gosh, is this what they, is this, this what, what it feels like? They experience, yeah. is this what they feel? Because if this is the closest we can ever imagine what it's like to, to go through a person who has this type of fracture mindset, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I, you know, <sighs> true story, one of my mom's good friends, uh, sadly does have um, Alzheimer's and it was I think almost a month ago where she went missing she actually left the house and my mom was telling me hey like you know my friend she's missing and I'm like what do you mean she's missing it's like she they like her husband like they like they can't find her they just she just left and I was like okay and I didn't really I, I, I understood the situation but I didn't understand the feeling behind of like of that kind of situation they did find her like they had her on the news trying to find her and they, when, the, when the police did find her she walked i think like i think like i don't know like three miles four miles to just a destination in her mind thinking that she had to do like she had a goal like she had this ambition but it was from something that was that didn't like exist anymore and so when i when i thought of that i thought holy crap yeah. watching this film just made me feel so bad and regretful for the way how I didn't really like feel like bad. I just knew that it was a bad situation, but I didn't feel anything. And just, man, I can't believe like this movie kind of like really brought that out of me. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to kind of call your guys' attention to the production design. You guys mentioned it briefly. Uh, To my knowledge, there are, I think, basically three sets. There Mm -hmm. is the hospital uh, room or or the convalescent home. There is mm-hmm. uh, the daughter Anne's flat, and then there is, flat. I believe, mm-hmm. uh, Anthony Hopkins's flat, and they all kind of mirror each other in such a way where you know um, it's confusing in that 
one scene can be taking place in one room, but then all of a sudden it changes and that same scene is now taking place in the equivalent of a different room. So the But the shot and the angle, yeah. like the hallways, yeah. the kitchen, yeah. the doorways are all framed exactly. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I just that blew my mind. That, that's what I was referring to in terms of the intentionality of the filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah, I was just agree with everything obviously uh, but not only uh, the set design it's also the costuming mm. and how they kind of go back and forth between the outfits uh, like Olivia Coleman maybe has two or three changes in the film and you can kind of piece together when what is happening based on what she's wearing yep. and the way the film is shot obviously it messes with our mind and sense of what perception of time is in this movie which is the um, watch the big thing with the watch yeah oh the, the yeah the watch we'll get to but it's like subjective versus objective you know mm. what um anthony is experiencing isn't necessarily what's going on and we're able to see that for ourselves because of um you know the interiors shifting the colors and design and the objects changing slightly the characters switching names and personalities and going back and forth and it just it just all came together in this beautiful i don't know composition that is this film i did also notice a lot of three main colors that kept reappearing mm. and it was yeah. blue yellow and white okay. and it was just crazy like those were the um colors of the outfits that yes. olivia that Anne was wearing those are the colors of the chairs that were all of a sudden in the in the hospital hallway but then inside the house those are the oh, colors of the hospital paint um like the white Good and catch. yeah it's just oh um, those are the colors of the tiles in the kitchen it's just it just kept those colors just kept reappearing and it's just all together it's like stunning and it just helped add and build on top of the story mm. yeah the only thing that i caught was um because i had to pause it and play back i was like wait why does this kitchen look different and like so because yeah. and then with the two bags of groceries as it cuts to when anthony's making tea and i see the two bags and he looks at the bags and and, and he stops for a moment as if it's like he's seen it for the first time and, and I was just like, okay, interesting. But then obviously as the film goes later and then it comes in with uh, Olivia Coleman Anne's um, character, uh, Anne, who comes in with the bags. I was like, oh my gosh. But then I look at the kitchen. I was like, wait, is this a different kitchen? Wait, what am I? And I, I it's just one of those films where I had to play it back because I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I remember this, if this was real or if this was something different. Like, am I experiencing dementia right now? What the heck's yeah. going on? Like, it just, it just really got me, like really, really got me well the way how Florian like, went with this you know yeah. narrative yeah i think so. it was also great the way how pretty early on i don't know maybe it was for me maybe it was the same for you guys we pretty early on realized that the scenes that um anthony is in are unreliable and yeah. then scenes yeah. where he's absent and yeah. it's just the other it's characters the yeah. those are you know reality and that made it easier to follow for us as viewers as like to what's true and what's in his head right well what's funny is that like i was watching it not so much of trying to make sense of it but to really let myself go and experience what Anthony's yeah. character yeah. is going through. I, I didn't want to try to make sense yeah. of it because I don't think that was the point of the yeah. film when I was watching it. Yeah. I was like, this is this is literally what it's like. Yeah. I've, and I need to try to 
embrace this right yeah, now. Yeah, after a while, really crazy. After a while, yeah. I just stopped trying to piece, the, you know, the scenes together and the logic and the timeline, and just was like, I'm gonna go with it and just be as confused as he is, or be as heartbroken as he is, you know. And once I kind of let myself do that, I think it kind of freed me up a little bit to really enjoy his performance in the film even more. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely. freaked me out, dude. Yeah. It freaked me out because his performance. I mean, you can't. Yeah, there was no. There's nothing to say for Hopkins's performance in this in this film. It was he he was the right man to do yeah. it. It's for and there's no other word I can think of. Yeah. Like he was so brilliant in this film. Yeah. And and man, did he mess with my emotions yeah. so bad, especially the end, man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So Kat uh, mentioned this about how charming it was and uh, how he carried the movie. And literally, in the midst of one scene, he will go from angry to like charming and you know gentlemanly, like a bipolar to kind of feel, yeah. depressed and angry and confused to sad in one scene. And uh, mm-hmm. the thing that got me was that, okay, so Anthony Hopkins is playing a man with dementia, but here is a man who is in his mid-80s, I believe. Yeah, mid-80s. 83. Yeah, who has memorized this entire script and is carrying an entire movie with his performance. How amazing and incredible is that for a man in his age to be still, I think, at the peak of his career? Uh, it, it was amazing to watch him at work here. Uh, how he walked, his posture, how he conveyed information without really saying anything it was really incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, blew my mind. Yeah, gosh. I want to ask you talk about Olivia Coleman a little bit. Uh, she was great. Uh, there was no. She was amazing. There was no lines where she was saying, oh, "I feel guilty." This is how I feel. But the emotion is just etched into her face. The love and devotion to her father. The guilt. Uh, you know, being torn between uh, Rufus Sewell's character. Uh, he played Paul, and uh, being torn between him and also between uh, you know him and his uh, her father, it was an amazing internalized performance where we felt everything. And there is just that one scene where she starts to cry, um, mm-hmm. based off of Anthony Hopkins's performance. It was just really heartbreaking to 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 watch that. It was incredible. In that moment where uh, you know Anthony would yell or. Oh man, some of the some of the dialogue that Anthony says to uh Anne I I I all I can think of in that moment was okay, if I have a if my kid if I have a kid one day and I get to this point and I get it and I'm able to kind of recognize it early on before it gets worse it's like, you know, no matter what I say, please do not take it personally because the da- like I I mean seeing the damage that it did to her but the the love she still has for her dad, knowing that he's what he's going through, but having such a hard time, you know, seeing him lose his mind was yeah. I, I couldn't stand it. It was so hard to watch. But the moments that kind of also led it up that I thought was like so accurate was when, you know, he would look at her in the elevator and says, did you do something with your hair? And, and she said, no, why? Is something wrong? He says, oh, no, you look good. And you just see her lighten up, like like just just light up with such happiness. And I was like, oh my gosh. I'd like to I'd like to add on that. I think that's one of the biggest points of the film is parental approval because throughout the movie we know that you know he he says some really nasty things about Anne. How she's all these awful things, and she reminds him uh, of her of her mother, and on and on. And then here, and she's just like 
wants him to recognize her or see her as someone who who he should be yeah who loves her and then he maybe throughout the whole film pays her like two compliments maybe three and you do see her light up and then at the very end when he talks about asking the nurse if she knows his mother and that you know he assumes that anthony was the name that his mother gave him you can see that he was seeking the same parental approval from his parents Mm. so it's it's there's this like dynamic of parents and children throughout this whole film and which ties back into the title that is father who is you know this strong figure that children come to and expect you to Mm -hmm. solve everything for them and be this like like this post for when everything like goes bad you know you come to your father and is someone who's strong and we see this man just break down and i think that the only thing to kind of help with that though also is obviously um and sister uh that that's in the film uh or that's that that's a part of the film lucy um i i knew i i think that was the only small tiny little uh I guess minus, you know, just a little bit of points that kind of fell off for me because once she, uh, she was constantly being brought up by Anthony, uh, I, I just already had the prediction of, okay, what happened to that character of Lucy? Like, mm-hmm. who is, like, what what happened to Lucy? So you would have preferred so I... if we didn't see what happened to her, right? It's not so much what, what happened to her. It's more of just, I knew that it, it I, for me, it's like bittersweet because it, it did help the situation of Anne's uh, disposition of just her relationship with uh, with Anthony but at the same time like every time Anthony was like where's Lucy I haven't seen her in months you know blah 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 oh she you know she's such a brilliant young you know girl and all these compliments she, he would feed for his uh, youngest daughter in my mind I just automatically went to okay I know exactly what I, I have a feeling I know exactly what happened to her kind mm. of thing and obviously once it reveals it at the end I'm just like okay I knew it kind of thing and that was just kind of like eh, I see why it was necessary for Anne's character, but at the same time, I don't know. I wish there was a bit, a, a, just a different approach, I guess. Hmm, got it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, any other minuses from either of you? I don't think that was a minus. Honestly, I think the Lucy plot point was a lot, again, to show this parental approval that Anne is just yeah. seeking this parental approval from Anthony, yeah. who, Obviously you know, she's doing. Lucy. Yeah. Yeah, but he's loving Lucy, who. He doesn't even remember is, you know, alive or not. And she's like, oh, she hasn't visited me. Oh, she's great. But he, like, worships her. And then Anne, who's there and, like, sacrificing her relationship. You know, we see her not go on vacations with, I guess, her boyfriend or husband. Because in the story, again, I'm lost. Because I still don't know. Yeah, if it's a boyfriend uh, or husband. If he is, yeah. <laughs> like, either. we, you know, because she whatever but then we see her watching this couple through a window and they're so loving and together and she can't enjoy because she's taking care of her father who doesn't even like speak nicely about her when she's there who's speaking so highly of the other sister yeah yeah i I think it's just a nitpick for me because it's not so much of lucy like the 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 poor the 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 point of like her character 
totally fine. I think for me, it was very, for me, very being nitpicky right now, it was just the predictability of what happened to her. Mm. I, I feel like I wish that was kind of a little bit different. Yeah. Got it. A couple of things I didn't like, just really two, and that's it. So, you know, in the course of a movie, it's actually not a lot. Um, no. Just uh, one heavy-handed moment. Uh, after uh, Olivia Coleman's character, Anne, drops uh, Anthony off at the convalescent home, we see her walk out of the building and uh, cut to a wide shot and then there is this statue of like a like a, a head a broken like a, head in the middle yeah. of the courtyard way too heavy-handed for me it's like okay i get it he's probably he has a fractured mind do we need a sculpture of a fractured face sitting oh, there in the middle of the courtyard i was like come on guys we, i didn't think about it. that yeah. but that makes sense now the, okay. the other thing is uh i wasn't quite sure what to make of Paul Rufus, the character that Rufus Sewell plays, we know he mm. knows how to play a good dick. Like he played one in, in the Holiday. It's like he's kind of playing the same character, and I wasn't sure if we were supposed to relate to him and kind of understand his frustration, or if he was just meant to be an antagonist in this movie. So I wanted to get your guys's take. Did you relate to him, or did you just hate him? Did you think that he was just a dick in this movie? I can kind of relate to him to an extent, I guess, with like, um, and this this is this would be very loosely of an example, but say like the frustration I have with like my dad personally, and because of his, you know, medical conditions that he has and whatnot, and the things that like, you know, um, I, I should show more empathy. I should show, you know, I, I should be more caring, I guess. But regardless, like I, I get that there are some people who just don't, you know, they, they just have very small patience and, you know, for, you know, lack of a better word, I guess, or they just don't understand, you know, now granted for me, I understand, but it still doesn't excuse sometimes my attitude, yeah. you know, that I, that I give off towards my father. But like, cause like when I look at Anne's character towards her father, that's the way I should be, yeah. you know, that that's the kind of son I should be. Yeah. So it's a little confusing. I get it because like I feel like for for Rufus's character, he just doesn't get it because yeah. he's he doesn't have the personal experience. But the attitude that he's having is kind of similar. It kind of reminds me a little bit of what I sometimes do. Yeah, there's a scene. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say I'm not even sure that he's the experiences that Paul has with Anthony are real. Like the slapping. Be- Right. Like this, uh, maybe, you okay, know, that, yeah, that one I don't know. Yeah. So like to me, maybe the slapping was James from, you know, um, Anne's first husband and somehow his brain projected onto Paul, who he's never even met because we know Paul is in, in France Paris, and yeah. yeah. And Anne is moving there. So they never were in the same home together. So to me, it's almost like, who is this character? Like, is he real? Maybe it's another layered I don't know, pers- like someone from the hospital or someone who could have, you know, like we hear stories about people with dementia in nursing homes who get like taken advantage of and like maybe like nurses go bad and like, I don't know, abuse them. That That's happened too. So to me, Paul um, didn't stick out as a real hmm. character really. Yeah. Um, if makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It actually makes a lot of sense. All right. Uh I think we've covered everything, uh, at, least, at least for me, What that I wanted to talk about. Is there anything else that you all wanted to bring up about this movie? 
I love the symbolism. I think it's layered with symbolism. Um, obviously, again, the watch, it's the passing of time. It's like we know like when he's wearing it, maybe he's more in tune with what's going on in reality mm. and when he doesn't have it oh, and yeah. losing it. Yeah. Um, the CD player, you know, we, we hear him or we watch him listen to music. Opera. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then it starts to skip and that's when we know that um, his comfortable patterns that he's getting, that he's come to you know be used to um are starting to become unpleasant for others because we are now hearing this music skip so it's whatever it's you know it's impacting us too that it's becoming uncomfortable and whatever and then obviously the leaves and the sim symbolism between the leaves and mm -hmm. how many times he uh refers to oh i think i'm losing my leaves and then seeing the leaves and then it ends it's obviously about like the cycle of life and yeah. And I think that was an interesting ending to pan to that green yeah. garden. It kind of reminded me of the ending of uh, Pieces of a Woman, where we see again that tree and oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. the child climbing the tree and the green and the branches. Is it her kid though? Do we answer that? And no, I'm kidding. Yeah, did we? But <laughs> again, yeah. So I, I, there is just those are some of the things that like really, really stood out to me. Awesome. Okay, man. All right. Then let's uh, go ahead and offer our final ratings of the movie. Um, I'll go ahead and go first and then go to Will next and, and with Kat. I give this uh, four and a half stars. Um, really effective filmmaking. Um, just masterfully directed and written. And everything was just was just set up perfectly for Anthony Hopkins to just come in and, and do his work. Um, really incredible performance by him. He carried the movie. Uh, and just captured every bit of emotion that uh, needed to be shown. It, but it didn't come out in big, loud ways. I mean, there's, of course, the Oscar scene at the end, but really just small movement uh, moments, how he looked, how he just walked. Um, also, great supporting performance by Olivia Coleman as well. Really, really great, great film. Uh, why is it not five-star? I, I don't know. Um, there has to be that little extra oomph, that little extra X factor for a movie for me, to be five star but four and a half stars is pretty damn close and uh, i found this really enjoyable really effective and really really moving as well and actually quite emotional at the end i was i was pretty uh i was pretty much a wreck at the end of this movie so with that being said i'll hand it off to you will i mean with my nitpickiness really of uh lucy's character you know, I can't, we can't do 4.8, so I have to round up and I actually give this film a five. Wow. Wow. I, this, this film, I think, at least from, I can recollect on personal, like, personal experience films that kind of try to take you into the eye of the character. This one got it so freaking close to something that I don't even personally know or experience. I've only witnessed, but never had a grasp on, you know, the perspective of what it feels like or what it could feel like. And this film took me there. It, it really not only like had me confused with that uh, artificial experience of like, of what it means to have dementia or Alzheimer's, but at the same time, a lot of empathy and a lot of, uh, like just just appreciation and and respect, knowing how when when our bodies fail, when our bodies start to go, like, you know, 
they don't know. The, you know the people who are going through these types of situations they're trying to make sense of it all every second of the uh, of of the day at the same time not realizing how it's affecting everyone else because it it just goes in a circle for them you know it's like they're they're in this maze and and just don't know how to get out but then it, it just really got me like emotionally staggered like at the end especially especially when uh, Anthony was calling out for his mommy and I have never seen Anthony Hopkins cry in any film that I can think of. But when he cried in this film, I, I was just, I, I, it broke me, man. And I was like, oh, I, I want to give him a hug. I wanted to like, just try to, you know, give him warmth. But at the same time, like knowing what Anne's character had to go through and just trying to take care of her own father. Ugh, man, yeah. dude, what a surreal ride. This was a, such a surreal experience. Yeah. Personally. So five star five nice five stars cat. So for a cynic like me, it's very <laughs> rare that a film comes out and I don't find any flaws with it. Uh, and truly, this is a five star. I it hits home for me on so many levels. The subject matter, the storytelling, our experience with the film, the um, attention. Wait, five stars? You give five, five stars? stars? Yeah. Uh, Dude, she is hot for Hopkins. Yeah. Dang, Hopkins. so hot. I mean, so it's Hopkins. not even that. It's like the whole cast, <laughs> the attention to detail with production, even the the pacing of the film, how long the movie is. There, You know, they packed it. You, there wasn't a scene they could have subtracted. There wasn't a scene they could have added. You know, it's a perfectly packaged story. Um, I usually I'm like, oh, with pieces of a woman. I was like, yeah, great film. Am I gonna watch it twice? No, I watched this twice. Like repeat, like literally watched it, took a breather, watched it again. So this is this is excellent, and I'll probably be seeing it again to find more details and go deeper because it's just such such a brilliant film. So go five stars. So more Kleenex boxes, you know. I mean. So Man. if you watch this movie twice, it's still shorter than watching The Irishman. Just wanted to, oh. <laughs> to harp on that. That that was a big thing. I, I can I just could not understand why that movie had to be that long. But yeah, just wanted to point that out. <laughs> yeah, and three times uh, it'll still be shorter than uh, Zack Snyder's cut of uh, Yeah, <laughs> the Justice League. The Justice yeah, League. Very true. Very true. All right, that was our in-depth review of the movie The Father. We will take a short break and come back with a look at another Anthony Hopkins movie. The Science of the Lambs. Stay tuned. We're interviewing all the serial killers now in custody for a psychobehavioral profile. Could be a real help in unsolved cases. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. I want you to go after him again today in the asylum. And who's the subject? The psychiatrist, Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal the cannibal. Busy hunting that new one, Buffalo Bill. What a naughty boy he is. Do you know why he's called Buffalo Bill? This one likes to skin his humps. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate yours. All right, we are back. And sometimes it's fun to take a little bit of a look back at a movie that, uh, you know, is just loved by everyone. Yes. In any case, it... uh, (laughs) has impacted all of us in one way or another. 
it has spun off a uh, multitude of sequels and television shows. Which, by the way, I am just very unclear how any sort of television show on NBC based off of Science of the Lambs characters can even be on network television. I don't even know how that would work. But anyway, that, that's a whole other thing here. Um, before we get into talking about this movie and whether it holds up or not, I wanted to play a little game of Did You Know? So, first things first here. Gene Hackman was originally going to make this movie. So before Thomas Harris' novel, The Science of the Lambs, was even released, Hackman and Orion teamed up to acquire the rights, and Hackman wanted to star as Hannibal Lecter himself. At some point, he stepped away and did uh, Mississippi Burning, and he got concerned that he would be making too many violent films. Therefore, he stepped away, and that paved the way for uh, um, Anthony Hopkins to to come on. I wanted to ask you guys, would Hackman have made an interesting, maybe even better, Hannibal Lecter? Ew, no. Interesting, but not better. <laughs> interesting, interesting, but not yeah. better. No. Okay. Wait, can I add to that too? Yeah. I know Michelle Pfeiffer declined to yeah. play the role of Clarice, she and did. then it went to um, Jodie Foster. Yeah, and Sean Connery also said no to playing Hannibal Lecter. That would have been the weird. Whole, that would have been. Gr- that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Gene Hackman, though, I felt like would have been. You would actually have been comedic if you would have played Hannibal for me, like. He just, I don't know. It's just the way he acts for me. It's just so weird, I guess, and not convincing as a serial, weird, crazy yeah. serial killer, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, but I can see Michelle Pfeiffer. I think Michelle I Pfeiffer, Jodie Foster. I think they both would work. I think they both works work well. Yeah. Would work well. Obviously, Jodie Foster did work well. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel like Michelle Pfeiffer is a little bit too feminine for that role. Like Jodie Foster is a little bit more. Yeah. Like rough yeah. around the edges. Yeah, she plays a girl trying to fit into a man's world, and I think that was very evident in the movie. She's trying to break the whole glass ceiling, and she wants to kind of be a part of the boys' club, and is always getting those looks and stares. And uh, yeah, I feel like someone in that position would be beautiful, but also tough. And uh, I think she pulled both those both of those things off really, really well. Hmm. Yeah. So, Kat, you mentioned this. Anthony Hopkins has only 16 minutes of screen time. So it's a little bit... I think it's 24 minutes and 52 seconds, which is the second shortest performance to win an Academy Award. Really? Yeah. That's the first. I'm seeing 16 minutes. Oh, um, I I mean, I I saw that number swirling, but when I pulled up more facts, I think he said... Kat watched the movie again and timed it. (laughs) I so, think it's 24 minutes and 52 seconds. I might be wrong, she, but she that... She measured her heart rate uh, during the course of the movie. Each time it spiked, <laughs> that that was when we knew that he was on camera. Oh, yeah. man. But this is like a little bit of like the the, uh, the opposite of Daniel Kaluuya, right? He pretty much was in every scene of the movie, but got a Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Anthony Hopkins should have most definitely been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yes or no? What do you guys think? No, but right. the um, cheese is correct. So <laughs> the cheese is correct. Let me tell you a little something. Yeah. Yes, he's the timing is short. Of course, is his performance brilliant? Yes, he's creepy AF. Like, are you not terrified to watch him and like his eyes move? Yeah, it's a brilliant performance. It's not his fault. It's only 24 minutes or whatever. Um, but again, I did want to build on that. And 
uh, by saying that this film just reflects how difficult it is to be a woman in this um, society. We'll get into like what Clarice goes through. Like you said, she's trying to fit into this man's world. But also Jodie Foster, Jodie Foster, yes, she got a similar recognition as Anthony Hopkins, but their timing is very different. So she had to put on a full performance and carry the film and accept Best Actress same year for the same film with a mm. very different amount of screen time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I still think he should have gotten Best Supporting Actor. But, <laughs> but his, no! his, his, his role looms large over the movie, of course. I, I will say that. Yeah, he didn't even have to be on screen for you to feel his presence. That is Oscar worthy. Very true. Very true. Um, You guys may or may not have known about this, but this was not the first portrayal of Hannibal Lecter in the movies. There was one before. He was played by Brian Cox in a movie called uh, Manhunter, directed by Michael Mann. That was an adaptation of the book Red Dragon, which ultimately they remade later with Anthony Hopkins playing the Hannibal Lecter character. Did you guys know this? No, I did yes. not. Yes. Yes, I did. And not only that, I know Anthony Hopkins has said that he wishes he never went into any um, other like sequels besides yeah. doing Silence of the Lambs, too. I will, he did not want to. Uh, he like not regrets it, but he's just like he would have been happy just doing the first one. Yeah. You know, honestly, I was going to ask you guys that right now. Uh, I was not a fan of red dragon nor was i a fan of hannibal uh, it was all the things that this movie wasn't i felt like they were just way too heavy-handed um and the reason why silence works for me is that uh it just gives you just a little bit just enough to let your imagination kind of go run wild and i think in that way it was scarier and hannibal was just too much it was just too much mm-hmm. yeah do you guys feel the same or did you guys like the sequels didn't care yeah I didn't mind it. I actually uh, enjoyed Hannibal more than Red Dragon, for one, for sure. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't mind. I, I agree with a little bit overhanded, you know, uh, heavy-handedness yeah. with, with Hannibal. But, overall, I, I you know, I, I enjoyed the kind of thriller that, that it kind of gave off. Yeah. So. Loved Gary Oldman it, in that. Just, uh, just was really bummed out that they couldn't f- figure out a way to get Jodie Foster in the movie. I know she had issues mm-hmm. with what happens to her character, and that's why she didn't. She wasn't in it, but it would have been a hundred times better if she was if she came back. That was. Did you not like bummer. Julianne Moore at all? I like her. I like her quite a bit, but I didn't think she knew bad at all. Yeah. Yeah, but it just it yeah. needed. Looking back, we all wanted the Hannibal movie to happen, and I think that's why we were all like, "Okay, fine, Julianne Moore, fine, we'll we'll take it." But looking back, like it was a huge just difference. I think mm. that chemistry that the two had. It was just incredible, right? And it just wasn't there. Anyway. Mm. All right. This movie was only the third film to sweep the top five awards at the Academy Awards. Won Best Actor, Actress, Adapted Screenplay, Director, and Picture. That is insane, especially for a crime drama. Um, So big props to that film. We'll talk about that in a minute, uh, whether it holds the test of time. Uh, Another thing is uh, this movie was released very, very early. If... I'm sure you guys are aware all the big Oscar Bay movies come out November and December. This movie came out in February. It actually came out on Valentine's Day. Go figure. So if you want to impress that first date, take them to watch a serial killer movie where uh, a killer skins its victims alive. 
and the other killer oh. eats them. So, yeah. That's like, it sounds like the perfect date for cat for sure. I know. Oh, one hundo. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. All right, so everything that I was all excited, it's like, oh, I bet they didn't know this. I bet they didn't know this. Turns I out have a fun fact. Knew all this. Yeah. Did you know that Anthony Hopkins <laughs> thought Silence of the Lambs was a children's story when he receives the script? Wow. I did hear about that, actually. I didn't know that was a fact, though. Yeah, he thought it was a children's book, and I think it took him like 12 to like 15 pages into it to say, hold on, I'm doing this. And then when... <laughs> And then he gave, um, like, Jodie Foster was really scared to be around him after the first, um, like, table read. Like, she was like, he's really in the character, like, creeped her out. And um, the director told him that he's so, like, I don't know, so weird and to just keep doing it that he started, like, freaking out people on the crew when like they would like come by the cell and he'd be like what are you doing in my cell and like things like that so he like really went for it oh that's awesome he was just truly creepy that accent is just just so weird and well, well that's thought another- out though well, really well thought out of the other things that he all that he said about the role he's like i'm just this like British guy like playing this like really creepy American like serial killer like so he just went for it yeah he himself thought like the accent and the whole thing was just weird but everyone loved it so he just went for it like so a hundred percent okay yeah that nice Chianti he that that would that's not the accent will that is not, that's the, not accent. the accent <laughs> <laughs> all right darling Asian Starling. Yeah. That's right after Miggy uh, flung his jizz at her face. Oh my god! No, I, I, okay. I gotta say, are children like, in bed? I hope so. <laughs> I, I was just like, damn, he's got really good aim with that. Like, that, that's not even possible. Asian Starling, co- my Starling. wrist. Yeah, I know. Seriously, but I okay. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, could you help, not help but to laugh at the scene where? When they find the um, the cocoon and she goes takes it, she takes it to the two doctor. Uh, what was it? They're uh, just insect professors or whatever. Yeah. And Doctor Pilcher, the one with the, the cross, cross eyes, eye, <laughs> and it does a close up shot of him looking at Detective uh, Agent Sterling, and he just goes, "Agent Sterling, what do you do when you're not detecting?" And I. <laughs> He's trying to hit on her, yeah. but I couldn't tell. I was like, is he looking at me or is he looking at her? Like, <laughs> Well, that's the whole point yeah. of the film is like the camera angles that they chose to do is when um, they're having dialogue, the characters are speaking straight into camera, making you feel like they're speaking to you. There's very rarely any shots where it's like over the shoulder when they're having conversations. That's another reason why it's so like, Creepy. creepy yeah but it was just funny for dr pilchers though because like right when jody uh jody looks at him and says are you hitting on me doctor yeah. and he just goes yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I freaking lose it every time but, uh, what i find like, what i found interesting about that is just the, in it, it's a constant theme throughout the movie how every she's in a male-dominated world and they're all looking at her like she's an object and she fights against it and in that scene she's kind of trying to i think use it to her advantage <laughs> And uh, it's I just can't. Yeah, that's what's so interesting about Hannibal Lecter's connection chemistry with her is that 
he doesn't look at her the way they all do. He's intrigued by her, who she is on the inside. Because he's not cross-eyed. It's just, but yeah. not yeah. only <laughs> that, he, like, initially, he, like, kind of implies that the reason why she got the job is because her boss is, like, into her. Yeah. And and he, then he does say, he's like, they're going to say we are in love. Yeah. And it's in this in some twisted way they are connected. I'm not sure that it's love, but it's maybe this fascination with each other. Yeah. yeah. But he does imply that the only reason why she got that job is because, you know, her the guy who sent her there, yeah. her boss, is like into her yeah. and will like ask her out or something. Cat is Kat, do you fancy a cheeseburger with some beer? Maybe some house wine. <laughs> That's such a weird thing. How he brings up the house wine. It's just what is that your is that your like idea of a come on? But Kat, I wanted to ask you this: Is this movie as good as you remember it? I'm going to try to like seesaw it out a little because there are so many dark like so many decisions that were made um, as far as you know camera angles and scenes and subject matter and that is all phenomenal and I think it kind of stands the test of time but it is a little cheesy like in 2021 it is there are some things that you're just watching and going no freaking way what yeah do do tell explain what's a scene like that um I think when um I think one of the cringiest scenes for me is the chick, um, the senator's daughter being in the well and screaming at camera. I mean, of course, they're going for that, like, let's shoot all the um, uh, characters interacting uh, face on with the audience. But her performance is so cringy, the way she, like, screams for help and then, like, she talks smack or whatever you want to say like it's just like i just don't buy it i just don't buy it. and the just to get that dog it's just like that whole thing is really bizarre to me and of course the whole theme of uh transsexual or not and like almost in a way not villainizing it's just that's such a fine line of the subject matter at hand um i know the actor who played buffalo bill Ted um mm-hmm, mm. uh suggested he does like the putting on the makeup scene and then the tuck scene was it is is it appropriate or the tuck needed scene. <laughs> yeah yes. the tuck scene like it just it's almost insulting watching it right now. Maybe 30 years ago, like nothing like that has been on camera. Maybe that was shocking. And I, I'm not sure what the shock value of that was today. It's like, like I'm pers- like yeah. I'm even personally insulted. It hasn't by aged it. well. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Totally. Yeah. I don't know. There's a there was a creep like a really good scene with Ted Levine, like the creepy factor where he was putting on the makeup and he was looking at himself. It's like, you know, would you f me? Like, I you know, he just that was just so cringing and, uh, in a way like, uh, you know, for me, authentic to to how certain crazy, um, people are. I guess. I, I mean, for lack yeah. of a better word. Yeah, for me, this movie was uh, a 
bit it's still great i mean phenomenal movie uh, classic yeah. yeah it's still a little bit of a mixed bag with certain things uh, technically speaking um i mean let's just be honest film shot today are a lot more technically precise than they were in the past so there are scenes where the camera is a little bit shaky and they don't mean it to be uh the camera Crooked. goes out of focus when they don't want it mm-hmm. to be uh however the performances the screenwriting the editing is just phenomenal. And I mean, the the climax where uh, you have those two scenes kind of intercut with one another with Jodie Foster going to a house and I believe the SWAT team going to another house. And you realize that Jodie Foster is at the door of James Gum. And you're just like, holy cow. The way that was written and the way that was put in, because I read the book and uh, it didn't it's set that same, up. right? Yeah. But then it's not, but it, it didn't cut like that in the book but the way they cinematically showed it was really incredible um yeah so i'm sorry so to so with that scene real quick i think i might have missed something though like what was it that had what was it that made that switch because after obviously uh crawford was like when he when he realized he was at the wrong house so that yeah uh, he, he goes clarice right and i and did did she lead them off in that path or was there like a how how was it that they were at two different locations? I guess, or they got it mixed up. I guess that I don't know. Kat, do you have an answer for that? It was clear. Any, to yeah. me I I think it's um it was the wasn't it what um it's what Hannibal let them to believe like where he was like he led them to a different location or some like they somehow figured it out to be a different location by the name though by the like, name the, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay. It was like they had the name, but somehow they tracked it to a different house because he was living at the, like, was it like some old lady's home? Mm-hmm. And she yeah. figured it out by looking at the map. Uh, Isn't is that right? Because they were like, oh, these are all random. And she's like, no, these are not random. And then she pieced that the first girl he murdered had the tie to to the killer and then she went to the house and then found that house is not mm-hmm. am i i think you're right yeah. you know yeah. yeah 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 and the 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 fbi crew only i guess had the name and that's how they were the piece like i guess one of his whereabouts or last whereabouts or something mm. yeah that that's yeah it still doesn't make total sense to me um i will have to probably check that out again uh, I'll be honest. I just was started watching this uh, earlier today, and I have about twenty minutes left, so I still have to get to that final scene. Um, Should we pick back up tomorrow? Oh no, 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 no! no. <laughs> I still remember what happens. I just didn't have all the details set. Uh, the mm-hmm. details that you were talking about, right there. Yeah, but I will say that there is. Uh, I find this quite a lot when we watch movies from the eighties and nineties. We start to see that some of the uh, the uh, you know the smaller actors are really really bad and a lot of the people that play police officers and SWAT team they have no idea how to even hold a gun and uh, I saw that today I I was cringing Um, there is that moment after uh, Lecter talks to the senator he's in like a portable prison it looks like inside of like a museum of some sort and then of course during his huge breakout there is a scene where police officers enter the room to find you know dead bodies and also a scene where the SWAT team comes and it's very obvious that none of them know how to hold a gun (laughs) or how to move together and it is just terrible like what the hell like come on can someone just pay for training for these guys Uh, there was just one scene like that Uh, other than that I I found this movie uh, really enjoyable the thing is like 
I have to remember how it was when I first saw it because this spawned a series of other crime movies that kind of kept trying to one-up it and one-up it and one-up it. Are they as good as this? Probably not. But re-watching it, all of that, those feelings that you had, the discomfort, the the feeling of like darkness in your soul of watching a serial killer and how they think and act, that's kind of like gone now, you know? But uh, especially with Kat, because I'm sure she's <laughs> she she thinks like a serial killer now. People, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just I've joking. seen thinks so like many crime killer, shows. Yeah. <laughs> has no soul. Yeah. Always the cheese standing alone. Yes. Well, I highly recommend Mindhunter because that yeah. show is so great as to like going into uh, you know the depths of like um, a killer yeah. a killer's mind, and also there's a lot of like Ted Bundy references in uh, in Silence of the Lambs, yeah. of course, the way he lures in his uh, victims, and then the fact that Ted Bundy was brought on by. FBI to help solve um, a case when he was on death row. So that's kind of another parallel. And Ted Bundy is one of the darkest, most twisted serial killers of our time. He ate his victims too, right? Not only that, he would go back to the sites where he would like leave their bodies and like wash their hair or like put on makeup and just do all kinds of twisted things. Wasn't he also like a necrophiliac too? Yeah. No? Yeah. Yeah. He was a necrophiliac. Okay. Mm-hmm. He would like leave them in the woods and like hide them and then come back to the site and like try to like take care of them while they're like, like decomposing and missing. Wow. He was also very handsome, right? If I remember correctly. He's like, yeah, no, yeah. I've seen interviews with Ted Bundy. He's actually not a bad looking guy. And I think one of the interviews that's on YouTube that you can watch thoroughly when they just talk to him, try to get a, understanding like granted i don't know he doesn't seem like the guy to lie but then again he can be very manipulative who knows but when they were just questioning about what is it about uh you that that made you go on these like murdering sprees whatever and then i think he brought up the experience of you know once i i I remember one time i killed a squirrel right and and when i killed the squirrel i found it fascinating and i just went up to it and I was seeing it suffering and just seeing it take its last breath and it just it it, it, it just fascinated him and I was like how do you get to that kind of place at a young and he was like I think nine or something he said so it's traumatic childhood he like most serial killers they all either have a head trauma or a traumatic childhood and like an abusive childhood Hmm. like he had a girlfriend um who he was in love with and i guess she like they're i think they were even engaged um i'm sure someone's screaming right now like if i'm getting this wrong but then they broke he broke up with her and he left her and then he realized that, no, I'm going to come back for her. And he just got, um, they got back together. He, oh, no, she dumped him. Sorry. She dumped him. He's like, I'm going to win her over. They got back together. And then he just ghosted her and like made her suffer for dumping him. Like he was so vengeful. He also starved himself in one of the cells so he could escape prison. And he did. And then he was on the run. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? I think he even escaped prison twice. Wow. One time I think he jumped out of the window and just ran and the other time he starved himself until he could like fit between like and like crawl out or something. Interesting. This is what's in our world, people. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. 
Like, yeah, that's that's just crazy. All right. But yeah, the FBI brought him on to do the Green River um, uh, to help them find the Green uh, River Killer. Hmm. So it's so funny because it sounds like a twisted Catch Me If You Can. Really, yeah, it does. <laughs> it will. So, what did you think? Is this movie as good as you remember? When I first watched it, um, I, I, I I thought it was it was fine. It was a good suspense thriller. Uh, obviously there are certain things where I was kind of lost in and trying to figure out the whole uh, narrative of, uh, obviously, like I said, when it came to the scene where, uh, Jody's character is at, uh, James, uh, James house. And then, uh, Crawford's at the other one. And I'm like, wait, how did this happen? And I was trying to go back and try to figure that out. But overall, I have to agree with you in, the, in, ter- in terms of the technical aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And the and some of the structure of acting when it comes to, you know, proper supervision of when it comes uh, when it comes to the police, and and how to hold a gun and how to infiltrate all that stuff. But then again, I look at it and what ties it together for me is the coloring, the way that the the way that the that the film looks. It's very eighties, nineties. It fits the whole genre of what we can remember of a good film of those of that of that time, you know? I mean, granted, like I was recently I was recently trying to watch A Clockwork Orange by Stanley Kubrick and, and that film was just like, what the F is I love that. What, movie. Am I wa- <laughs> what what am I watching right now? But but the texture of it, the way it's shot, the way it looks it just kind of has that same feel with Silence of the Lamb as well. Just not as bizarre, yeah. obviously, as Stanley Kubrick's. But, you know, that, that's how, for some reason, for me, it's like I find it acceptable. It's yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, great. So then I uh, had a couple of questions for you guys. Um, where was the better performance? Was it found in Silence of the Lambs or was it found in The Father? The Father. Hands down, The Father. But, you know... I- you would hope that 30 years would do the film industry some good and, you know, give the actor. I mean, Anthony Hopkins is a brilliant actor, but yeah, like there's 30 years um, kind of like book ending uh, his two Oscars, you know, and yeah, obviously experience makes an actor better. Right. Oh, 100. Yeah. And he's, but then again, Hopkins, though, even in Silence of the Lamb. He was uh, properly trained as well in Shakespeare and doing a lot of theater and plays in, in his past as well. So I think truly when I, when I see these two films that are Oscar worthy, I think that it's the context of what's going on. Like I think with Hopkins in this one, having the accents, having the, you know, w- when they were asking him, how did you prepare for this role? And he said that he observed a snake. He observed how it moved. Just this, the tech, the technicality he took into uh, this film, um, really stood out. And then when I look at the father, it was just more of that 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 experience of really having me connect with a a, a disease, you know, uh, that a human being is carrying. The fact of how he was able to protrude that so well. I mean, obviously, his age helped them because, you know, he's in his 80s. But, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, for me, it was like I just got way more connected with the father and what it like, how it made me feel. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. So got it. Got it. All right. Final reviews of Signs of the Lambs. I'm not talking about when you first saw it, but looking back, what you rated today. Um, what do you say, Will? Uh, you know, I always I gave Signs of the Lambs a four. I still give it a four. I think it's still a four. 
Okay. Uh, out of the nostalgic aspect of you know a great suspense thriller, out of just uh, the the acting for sure, the way how Anthony Hopkins approached his character and the way how he prepared for the character, um, and I, I I think I think from what you were saying earlier, Meyer, like it, it was it it. it broke a new foundation of films that are trying to one up and one up and one up and now you know like it's just it, it kind of like created a new era of how to make a great crime thriller like that yeah. you know suspense thriller like that yeah and it, it just kind of couldn't like you're saying yeah how about you cat what do you say i'm torn between three and a half and four wow. because of um like some of the cheesiness and it not aging well, I see just because you said, how would we rate it today? Not in the past. Um, today, this film, like you, you can't watch that through a through a 2021 lens, like 100 percent. There's certain things that are very questionable with it not just from like a technical perspective and, you know, all of the things that we talked about, but also like the subject matter. But because, again, it's like a nostalgic piece and deals with um, one of my favorite subjects and Anthony obviously Hopkins. has Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> um, that's why I'm torn. So let me hear what you say yeah. and maybe I'll sway one way or the other. No, well, yeah, I agree with Will. I give it a, a four-star rating. Um, yeah, it's interesting that this won Best Picture because uh, it's not the kind of movie that does that. And... Uh, I mean, it won everything else, the performances, the directing, all that good stuff. So, um, but still looking back, yeah, it, do I consider it like a strong Best Picture winner out of all the other Best Picture winners out there? Um, probably not, but I will say it's one of the best crime thrillers I've ever seen. And even though certain things don't hold up and it's not a, you know, it's not a perfect movie by far. It's it's definitely flawed, but still just an amazing movie. So I, yeah, four stars for me. Um let me ask you, can we play that game again where we look back at that year and see what would have been yeah. our choice for best picture? So what was that? Um 1991. Yeah. Yeah. Did do, do you have it so up? I'm okay. It's 1992 Oscars, it was. Oh, nice. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, JFK, Bugsy, The Prince of Tides, with Barbara Streisand, okay. Beauty and the Beast. All right. The animation. Yeah. I guess the Disney animation and Silence of the Lambs. All right. That was a pretty bad year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,. I, I love JFK, but a movie about conspiracy theories is is not going to win Best Picture, and the other stuff. I mean, come, come on, no. Bugsy was with uh, George Clooney, right? No, oh, it's or no uh, Warren Beatty was, and, and Warren thing. Beatty. Yeah, Warren Beatty. Okay, okay. I think I have that on DVD. I've just never seen it. Let's see. Cape Fear was came out that year, which was which is a good movie. Um, Thelma and Louise. Yeah, that was a, so, a weak so, year. So it was a it was a no it was a no contest. Yeah, yeah. Beauty <laughs> and the Beast versus Silence of the Lambs. I'm just shook. Yeah, Let's that was see. a weird year. I guess. Weird, yeah. Okay. Uh, this was the, well, so yeah, then it deserved Best Picture. Yeah. for sure. This was the uh, Terminator Two year. I remember it sweat. It won five Academy Awards that year. All the technical. Oh, stuff. and Thelma, Thelma and Louise came out that year too. Yeah. Huh. 
wild. Right. Interesting. All right, you guys, I'll give it four stars as well. Okay. Thanks for asking. <laughs> All right, that was our episode for today. We'll be back next week. Until then, we just want to remind you that it's not so much the destination, but the things you watch and experience along the way. Stay safe and we'll see you soon. Thank you.